0: You're listening to Sage Spirituality, reaching back, leaning in, and seeking out a deeper experience with God, with your host, Joel Margot. Hey guys, it's such an honor to be with you again today. I want to ask you just to pull up a chair and let's sit down together and let's talk about eternal things. But before we delve into our content, I just want to thank you so very much for making this podcast an unbelievable success. I want to thank you for the shares. I want to thank you for rating. I want to thank you for the incredibly kind words that you've spoken about this podcast, but I also want to ask you to continue to share. I believe there's a lot more people that are ready to step to the table. They're tired of being critics, and they're ready to become students. They're tired of all of the debate, and they're ready to come to the table so they can go deeper with Jesus Christ. And I just want to take a moment out of this podcast and tell you just how important you are to this podcast. We couldn't do it without you. We need you as listeners to help spread the word and help us reach more people, help our community grow. I know that each one of you knows someone that this podcast would benefit, and you know what? Just be a friend and invite them to the table. Now, Today, I want to talk to you just a few minutes about heart disease. I'm not a doctor. Don't worry. You're not tuning into the wrong podcast, but just a couple of statistics. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in the United States. One out of every four deaths are caused by heart disease. And What's crazy about that number is every year, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have heart attacks, yet over two-thirds of them are having their second or third or maybe even fourth heart attack. They know that they had an issue, but they didn't take care of the issue before it came to a head. And this statistic made me think of Saint Macarius. And he said these words He said, The soul is greater than the body. The body becomes sick, and with that, it is finished. But a spiritual sickness extends into eternity. Deliver us, O Lord, from such sickness and grant us healing. Now, think about that. You know, if you die of a heart attack, you die but when you die and you're spiritually sick, when your spiritual heart is sick, that sickness that extends into eternity. And today I want to look just a little bit. I want to lean into the word of God and I want to look at what the prophet Jeremiah told us about the heart. He said very scathing words about the heart. In chapter 17, verse 9, he said the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, the most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked, who really knows how bad it is? Now, think about that. Here's a prophet who was prophesying against sin, who was prophesying against the enemies of God. And In the middle of his prophecies, he took time to warn us as believers, saying, Listen, your heart is deceitful, and you really can't trust it, and you can't believe in it. If I could hear, I would cue Hank Williams' song, Your Cheating Heart. It just makes me think, And makes me smile a little bit. Maybe it's just my uh, southern raising, but uh, that song speaks volumes to us as Christians. We just can't trust our heart. Jesus even extended it a little bit more, and he pointed out a couple of indicators to let us know if we had spiritual heart disease. Now, I mean, if we're sick and we're not doing well, we can go to the doctor and we can jump up on a on a treadmill. We can do an EKG. We can do uh, all types of tests and scans and everything else. And they can tell us whether or not our heart is in a good condition. But unfortunately for our spiritual heart, it's very, very easy for us to hide. It's very, very easy for us not to see the telltale signs, until it's way too late. Like St. Macarius said, until it's too late and our spiritual disease has caused us to have eternal issues. Well, today, let's take a litmus test of our spiritual heart. Let's look at two areas that Jesus told us would stick out to us to let us know that we had spiritual heart disease. Now, in our last podcast, we talked about the eight sentences that we find at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. They're called the Beatitudes. Those are the original tweets that Jesus gave to us that just gave us the cause and effect. If you do this, then this is going to happen. And that that's powerful. That's straightforward and not really open to a lot of interpretation. We talked about that. But even if we're doing those things, we have to look at our heart just a little bit deeper. And almost with the next thought or the next um, group of thoughts inside of the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to call them his points or his or his uh, understanding or his teaching, Jesus points out in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he said, "...you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murdered will be in danger of judgment." Verse 22, he says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Least your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Now, there's an incredible contextual story behind these words but and it's very important and I'm, I I would take time if I had an hour to talk to you about all of the different contextual uh situations inside of those words but realistically there's some things here that are very very clear to us it's incredibly clear to us that we see the importance for us to resolve conflict and offense you know what it it starts out in our it starts out like a small cut on our body. And you know, in, in modern terms, realistically, I'm hearing right now all the way around the world that there's flesh-eating viruses and bacterias all over the ocean. And if you go to the ocean with a cut on your hand and you don't cover it up and you don't take uh, due diligence, then you're, you can get something that's really, really bad. And that's what's taking place here. It says, you know what, the cut in and of, in and of itself is not that bad, but when it's left untreated, it festers and it becomes infected and eventually it could cause loss of limb or maybe even death. And what we're wanting to do here is delve in just a little bit to see, just to see how our heart is. We want to see if we have some issues that possibly need some attention, some areas of our life where we really do need to take due diligence and follow a spiritual plan to be able to heal the situation of our heart. Barner Research just released some new statistics that are a little bit shocking. And what's amazing is right now, uh, 88% of all Christians who identify, people who identify as Christians, say that they're familiar with the phrase, we must forgive to be forgiven. But it's a little bit scary, and I'm going to give you some statistics here because I don't think we're doing a really good job. 76% of Christians say that they've offered unforgiveness unconditionally. 76% of Christians who were surveyed said they had forgiven people who they did not want to forgive, and they've forgiven people who really didn't deserve to be forgiven. But then... Unfortunately, inside of the church, there's only 55% of Christians who can testify that they have received that level of unconditional forgiveness. Now, think about that. There's 78, 76% of the people who say, look, we have forgiven, but really only 55% of the people who have said, I've received unconditional forgiveness from my brother in Christ. Now, there's a gap there, but maybe... That gap can be explained by the last statistic, which is even more shocking. The Barna Group, they pointed out that one-fourth, one out of every four Christians, had someone in their life that they could not forgive. No, that's an issue. That is a spiritual sickness that we have to deal with. Now, Once we start thinking about offense and once we start thinking about forgiveness, I don't think there's a Christian on the planet who wouldn't tell you, I know that I'm supposed to forgive those who have hurt me or done damage to me. But the question comes in, how in the world can we overcome offense? How in the world can I lay it down? How can I give it up? How can I just walk away from this? And in this text today, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points out just a few steps that we can follow. And when we're wanting to overcome offense, the first thing we have to do is we have to ask ourselves a question, is it justified? Now, I'm going to take just a few minutes and I'm going to step into the text. And when I step into the text, I'm going to add just a little bit more emphasis on one certain part. In verse 22, it says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, that's a key word right there, without a cause. I have to be really, really sincere. We live in such a sensitive society in a world that most of our offense is not justified. And that's the first question we have to ask ourselves when we're dealing with our offense. Is my offense justified? Realistically, most of our issues come from just being overly sensitive. It, it, it means we're taking offense to something that was never intended to be personal. Maybe we're even taking up offense of another person. It was something that wasn't even intended for us, but we're carrying that offense with us. And it's causing us damage and it's causing damage to our heart. I want to ask you a question. Are you just offended because of someone's opinion? Is it someone's opinion that's making you offended? Is it something that someone's posting on Facebook? Quite possibly, there's some of you there that maybe need to cut off the fountain of offense in your life and you need to make a sacrifice and walk away from social media because social media may be a stumbling block for you. Just because we're offended doesn't make us right. I'm going to repeat that. Just because we're offended doesn't mean that we're right. And we have to remember that. We have to continually ask ourselves a question. Am I justified in my offense? And this is a rule that I try to live my life by. I can't always uh, say that I'm 100% perfect. I'm human, and sometimes I'm overly sensitive. Sometimes I let the smallest, most insignificant things wreck my life. But I do try the best I can to resolve it quickly. Now, my rule of thumb is this. If it offends God, then it can offend me. And realistically, when we read the Bible, we can look at a place like Romans 8, 8, and we can realize the only thing that offends God is disobedience to Him and sin. And those things can offend us. The results of those things can offend us. But we have to guard our heart. Now, one of the second things we can do after we've asked ourselves the question, is it justified? We can look at this text and we can see exactly what Jesus says. He says, the second thing we have to do is we have to look at ourselves. And we got to clean up the messes that we've caused. Most of us have caused other people to be offended. Realistically, all of us at one time have caused another person to be offended. And and what we need to do is we need to realize that most people that are highly offended are people who are highly offensive. They're the people who have done the most damage. And if I feel like I've hurt or I'm hurt, then the first thing I have to do is I have to ask myself the question, what's the damage I've caused? And I need to go back. And I need to realize in verse 23 of this text, Jesus goes so far that he says, I don't even want your offering If you know that you've offended another person, go and fix that thing before you try to give me an offering. And once you fix that, once you've asked for forgiveness or you've made right the offense that you've caused, then come back and we'll talk a little bit. Now, that's hard. But if we're going to rid our lives of offense, one of the steps is to look in the mirror and try the best we can to do damage control for the damage we've caused. Now, the second one is so personal and so difficult for us to follow. But the third one helps us to bring it into a landing. We got to make peace with the situation. Remember in our last episode, we said you've got to give up your right to instigate so that we can embrace the call to mediate. Now, we're called to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And it's impossible to maintain the peace for a long time. There's always going to be conflict, but we are called to be peacemakers. C.S. Lewis said these words. He says, as a Christian, that means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. We have to realize that forgiveness is not an option. It's not something that we can negotiate. It's not something that we can just chat about or talk about. Now, I absolutely positively love what St. Maximus, the confessor, said. He said the deiform soul, the image of God in our life, in other words, cannot nurse hatred against a man and yet be at peace with God, the giver of the commandments. We have been commanded, and he quotes this verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, that if we do not forgive men their faults, Neither will our Heavenly Father forgive our faults. That is so challenging for us, guys. It is unbelievable homework that we must forgive for our sins to be forgiven. That's just black and white. No interpretation needed. There's a story by uh, an old saint by the name of Hilarion, and he was from the 3rd century AD. He lived in a desert in the northern part of Egypt, and he was a monk, and he lived an incredibly holy life. People would come from all over the world to receive spiritual guidance from him in prayers. He was an incredible man of God, and another monk came to visit him one night, and St. Hilarion prepared him some chicken, and they brought it together inside of their prayer cell, possibly a cave. And when he offered it to him, the other monk, who was a bit self-righteous, looked at him and he said, Brother, I have not eaten meat or chicken or beef or anything for years because of my commitment to Christ. And St. Hilarion looked at him and he said, That's amazing, brother, because I have not gone to bed since I became a monk without forgiving every person that had done me wrong. And he said the other monk just bowed his head and ate the chicken because he realized which one of the virtues were the greatest. The absolute greatest virtue that we can have as a believer is the virtue of forgiveness, extending mercy to other people. Alexander Pope said it this way to err is human, but to forgive is divine. You know, we're all made in the image of God, and we're probably never more godly than when we forgive people who have done us wrong. Now, the second heart issue that we have here is in verse 27. I'm still in Matthew chapter five, and it says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. So the first indicator that I have a spiritual heart disease is the fact that I have offense or I have people in my life that I have not forgiven. Now, the second indicator that I have heart disease is lust. And Jesus said both of these things proceed from our heart. Just like Jeremiah said, our heart is deceitful, and we can't trust our heart. And I want just to tell you what is lust, and probably one of the funniest illustrations of lust is also by C.S. Lewis. He said, But he that looketh on a plate of ham and eggs to lust after it hath already committed breakfast with it in his heart. Now, lust is not just merely lust. Looking at beauty, lust is a, per, a perverse pursuit of something that is not ours, a deliberate action of our free will. And just to let you know some of the issues we're dealing with in the United States, over 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. Right now, there are 42 million porn websites around the world. This is what the statistics say. The porn industry, and you'll get this, The annual revenue of the porn industry is more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. It is also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 47% of American families have said that pornography is a problem in their family. and Marital infidelity increases by 300% when pornography is involved. 56% of American divorces involve one party having obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 70% of youth pastors report that they had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the last 12 months. Now, these are statistics that have to do with the world. and that last one there, just a little bit of the church, but some statistics that really disturb me inside of the church— among us who are believers, that 68% of church-going men and 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. My friends, that's an indicator that we have a heart disease problem that's going to affect us in eternity. Now, we know that we have an issue. St. Augustine He gave these words when he talked about lust. He said that his lust, when he was 16 years of age, became raging, and it absolutely dominated him. And he did not realize that there was an invisible enemy that was doing everything to destroy him and seduce him. And he said because of his lust, his shackles became overwhelming. His shackles became heavier and heavier. Almost if you can remember the uh, Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas classic. You know, he's, his, his friend Marley comes dragging these chains along and St. Augustine of hippo. He said, I had the same situation, but my situation was caused by lust. And there's so many people today that are dragging those chains around. And when we talk about lust, the question comes, how do we put the fire out? How do we deal with these things? Number one, we got to cut off the supply. Uh, what you're looking at is affecting you. Magazines, television, uh, websites, definitely things that are online, your Facebook page, they can all be used by the enemy to cause you to fall into lust. But the number one way that we can put out a fire is we can cut off the supply of tinder, And we have to cut off the supply if we're willing to put that fire out. We have to control the the, the the flow of images that are arriving into our life. we got to set limits far away from areas that we know are danger zones, and we can't go there. I'm going to tell you this. It's better for you to go without a smartphone or a laptop than it is for you to go to hell. And I, I love this. You know what? Most of us feel like our cell phones is an extension of our life, but some of us may need to cut that off, like Jesus said. It's better for us to lose a hand or an eye. It's better for us to lose our iPhone than it is for us to go into eternity with eternal heart disease. Now, Martin Luther said this. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. You can't stop the thoughts, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. You can control the content that's coming into your life. The second thing that I can do is I can smother it I can surround myself with accountability. I can make myself transparent to people of confidence that can help me talk and and pray through my situations. I can put limits out and just open myself up. And the final thing I can do is I can run from it. When it just comes down to it, I can just run from it. You know, Paul told Timothy, flee from passionate lust. Don't stick around it. Don't analyze it. Just run from it. And that is an incredible, incredible piece of advice for us today. An old monastic hermit used to say, a lustful thought is brittle like papyrus. When it it thrust at us, if we do not accept it but throw it away, it breaks easily. If it allures us and we keep playing with it, it becomes as difficult to break as iron. We need discernment. To know that those who consent lose hope of salvation. And for those who do not consent, a crown is made ready. Now think about that. This old, wise, spiritual leader said temptation of lust is like a piece of paper. And if we reject that piece of paper, it's just there. It's gone. If we find a way to conquer our thoughts, control the content that's coming into our life find a way to make ourselves accountable, find a way to run from the temptation, then the temptation just falls to the ground with no weight, with no strength. But if we entertain it, it becomes like iron. Now, the rats of unforgiveness and lust, if you want to call them that, they're absolutely invading. Now, We talked about heart disease, and probably one of the greatest indicators of heart disease that we've had in the past two or three hundred years was a work written by a Russian author named Dostoevsky. He's my favorite author in the whole world. I've read all the guy's books. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. uh, uh, The guy gives you a sidewalk. If you've never read Crime and Punishment or you've never read Brother Karamazov, do yourself a favor and read these incredible classics. But he wrote a short story. It's called The The Notes of the Underground. And, uh, you know, when he wrote that little short story, the main character is a man who's incredibly uh, negative. He's incredibly a bitter in his heart, everything in the world is wrong. He goes around criticizing other people and their success, and other people and their happiness. He goes around and criticizes uh, prostitutes and tells them how they need to change their lives and what they need to do. He's an incredibly judgmental man, but there's a part of symbolism in this story because he lives in a dank, nasty apartment that's underground. And one of his one of the storylines inside of it, he writes about the rats that have overtaken the underground of his apartment. And they're vengeful rats. They're rats that are driven by lust. They're rats that are driven by unforgiveness. They remember every offense. They come out and they attack him. And this guy actually confesses. He says, I'm a sick man. I'm a spiteful man. I'm an unattractive man. But as he's telling his story, the the main character remains unnamed through the entire story. But as he's telling the story, you start to realize that the problem are not, is not with the other people around him. The problem is not in the underground of his apartment. The problem is in the underground of his soul. And those rats are heart disease. Those rats are eternal heart issues where he's gripped by lust and he's gripped by unforgiveness. Now, the only way to get rid of rats is just to eradicate them. You have to absolutely hunt them down and destroy them. You got to find where they're dwelling in your house and you have to destroy the nests. You have to destroy their entrances and you have to destroy them. And we have to do the exact same thing in our spiritual life. I'm praying for you. I really am. And I know that through these words that you will have the tools to begin to forgive and you'll have the tools to to break free from the chains of lust. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I look so forward to talking with you very, very soon.